I Love Mortgage Brokering, episode 58. Where the best mortgage brokers get better. I Love Mortgage Brokering with your host, Scott Peckford. Hi, Broker Nation. I'm thrilled to introduce our guest today. Gordon McCallum is the founder of First Foundation. He's been a broker for 13 years, based out of Edmonton, Alberta. He was recently nominated for Diversifier of the Year. He's won Best Branding, Best Internet Presence, and Accredited Mortgage Professional of the Year. If we had a Most Valuable Player or Stanley Cup, Gord probably would have won that too. I'm absolutely stoked for this interview today. Gord, are you ready to rock? I'm ready to rock. Awesome. Hi, Broker Nation. Hey, awesome. I'm glad that we could we could connect today. So can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your business? Sure. I'm a, I'm a husband and father of four little kids. i got a seven-year-old, five-year-old, four-year-old, and a two-year-old. I live out in Sherwood Park. Uh, Edmonton uh, is home for the business. And I've been doing this since I was 25, so I think almost... Yeah, twelve or thirteen years now, and um, uh, it does. It's gone fast. It's gone fast. Uh, the business is first foundation, um, and our tagline is "Own, Grow, Protect" because we're we're not only a mortgage brokerage, but we also have a financial division as well as a uh, an insurance brokerage. So, and so, how did you get into the mortgage business? Because nobody, as a, in, when they're in kindergarten, says, "When I grow up, I want to be a mortgage broker." So, what was your path thirteen years ago to brokering? It's a, it's a it's a kind of a funny story. I had um, I actually graduated the University of Alberta. Uh, with a, a Bachelor of Commerce, so I was a business guy at heart. And I, I had a couple of failed startups, and I, we can maybe do that a little later, but I, I, I tried a couple of things that didn't work out. And long story short, I was shutting that down, the last one, and I and I was chatting with uh, everybody I could about what other opportunities were out there, because I wanted to stay self-employed, but I didn't want to have to go around raising money anymore. I just wanted to do something that I could sell and generate a, a little income for, for myself. And But I wanted to understand what I was selling, because I, I have to sort of believe in what I'm doing uh, to get passionate enough to sell it. And I was chatting with different people and, I, and one day I was uh, at a friend of mine's place, um, his office, and he's a realtor in, here in town. And I said to him, oh, look, I, I want to be self-employed. Do you have any ideas? What, what would you do if you were me? And he said, well, you should be... And he was a realtor, guy. right? So he didn't... He was a realtor. And he said he didn't yeah. say become a realtor? Well, no, actually. He told me that, and he, he, you know, my dad's a realtor uh, and has been for like 50 years or something crazy, but he didn't tell me that. He didn't say be a realtor. He said, you should be a whitewater rafting tour guide. And I said, oh. That's hilarious. Yeah. And I, he was like, no, seriously, let hear me out. You can, you know, you spend all summer in the bush, you go up and down, you take Americans up and down the river and charge them a bunch of money and it's a great lifestyle and it's freedom and it's awesome. And he said, and at the time I was single, I hadn't met my wife yet. So I was like, how many girls am I going to meet out in the bush? Like, I don't know. How this is gonna go? <laughs> so he, I said, do you have any other good ideas? Right. And what's Plan B? Said, yeah, exactly. Like, I didn't want to insult him and say that's a stupid idea, but I was thinking that's kind of a stupid idea. So he said, uh, yeah, if I had more time, I'd be a mortgage broker. And so right away, I'm going, well, like, what's a mortgage? And I said, what's a mortgage broker? I had no idea. What's a mortgage broker? And like a lot of people at the time, remember this is back when I think mortgage brokers had about zero percent market share. Mm-hmm. So. I had never heard of it. Nobody I knew had ever heard of it. And I think anybody that I did run into that had heard of it assumed, you know, your name was Tony and you broke kneecaps in the alleyway after uh, you defaulted on a private loan or something right. like that. So that was kind of the perception. But he explained it to me. I did my research. I called everybody I could get a hold of in mortgage land and asked them a bunch of questions. And so after about two or three weeks, I was convinced like this is something I would use as a consumer. That was my main frame of reference. I always try to put myself in the shoes of the person buying that service or uh, using that service and I thought 
well, I don't have a home, but if I was getting a mortgage, that's the way I would go. I would use a mortgage broker. And I figured, well, I can't be the only one like me out there. There's got to be a few more people crazy enough like me. So I so I thought it's something I could sell. It's something I believed in. And I had a little exposure. You know, everybody knew what an insurance brokerage was. And so there was kind of a point of reference there, too, that made sense. So I was, I was sold. I was ready to go. And then so where did you go? Like, you can't just open your own brokerage. So where did you go from, like, okay, I'm not going to be a white water rafting guide. That's yeah. plan A. Plan B as a mortgage broker. Uh, so where did you go from there? Well, actually, um, I, I talked my I talked to one of the guys who was on the board of my previous company into joining me in this adventure. It took him a little longer to commit to doing it. Uh, so after about six months, he said, yeah, well, I'm in. And we, uh, we started working with Mortgage Alliance. Um, and we did that for six months. Now in Alberta, you have to you have to work for two years um, under somebody else's license before you can open your own brokerage. But we didn't want to wait that long, so we worked out a deal with a commercial broker in town um, who didn't have any residential business. And we said, look, we'll, we'll pay you what we're paying Mortgage Alliance. Um, and we worked out a deal with a regulator that we could call ourselves First Foundation, a division of, in this case, it was Lambridge Capital Corp. So he continued to do his commercial business, mm-hmm. and we did the residential business using our own brand. So we were able to actually start That's pretty clever. brand. Yeah, well, it was a, we, we got to build the brand a year and a half earlier than we would have. Mm-hmm. And so that was a good head start, and we had he, he still oversaw everything we did, uh, and we paid him. But it was just a cleaner operation, and, and gave us a head start. So right, cool. And um, so before we dive into your story, I always like to ask about a success quote that's had an impact on your life or business. So can you share a quote that has impacted you, and maybe a story of how you've applied that to your life recently? Yeah, sure. There's lots of them. I was, I was trying to think of uh, the one to, uh, to talk about, but it, the one that I chose is it's on my wall actually, and it's from the greatest selling success book of all time, uh, the Bible. And it's um, Colossians 3.23. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. And so I think I, I try to apply that. I'm not perfect at it, but I, mm-hmm. I try to I t- try to take a bigger picture approach to what I'm doing. And, and uh, it gives me a sense of purpose. It gives me, um, it helps me to rise above the daily grind, rise above mm-hmm. the, the things that uh, sometimes get you down and uh, can, can get, can become roadblocks if you let them. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's one that I, that's a, really that's a good one. And also, I want to switch gears now and ask about failure, because you had just mentioned a little bit briefly before that you've had some other ventures that didn't go so well. So can you share an example of something that you failed at, but that looking back, there was a lesson in it for you? Yeah. Uh, we had a little a little startup right after I, I graduated university, but it was more of a, I wouldn't even call it a startup, because it was more of a, a prototype um, a website we kind of built, uh, I built with some guys from school. But uh, the, the second startup I tried to do was a company called StudyBucks. And StudyBucks, I actually worked with that for four or five years before finally giving up. And StudyBucks, the best way to describe that was like air miles for education. And it was really geared. There's a lot of statistics out there about how women in the home made like 90% of the purchasing decisions. And yet, the reward programs really were geared kind of at a selfish aim, like travel and, and stuff and mm-hmm. redeem for those things. So we were appealing. And, and mothers also had this really high uh, need to be to feel like they were, they were setting their kids up for success and that they were planning for their education and kind of looking down the road. So we dreamed up this, uh, or I dreamed up this um, reward program that was geared at uh, helping people to earn points that they could redeem towards education-related costs, and whether it was tuition or books or RESP contributions and things like that. And um, 
great, great learning experience. I really built my network doing that business. I made a, I made a lot of great contacts that have actually helped me grow my mortgage business and now insurance business. But at the time, I was like 22, 23 years old. And we needed to do that right. We needed to raise about 10 million bucks to do it right. Yeah, but just, a, just a small raise. Yeah, exactly, across Canada. So I got a lot of pats on the back from people saying, and we even had, like we had XR Miles guys on our board. We actually had a pretty good plan. I think I think if we had raised the 10 million bucks, I still think we could have executed on that plan. And in fact, there was a company in the States called You Promise that came out and they raised $96 million in their first round of financing to do pretty much the same thing and had partners on like Walmart and McDonald's and stuff like that. So it was a good idea. Universally, I think we had people saying and telling us it was a good idea. There were some, some market challenges. A lot of companies were investing in their own programs because of the success of Air Miles and stuff. But I got a lot of pats on the shoulder saying, great idea, kid, but you're 22 and you don't have any experience. And so we're going to pass. Mm-hmm. So that was frustrating, but looking back on it now, I think I understand where they were coming from. And and you know, we we needed ten million bucks, and we came up nine point eight short. So we it was, a, it was a pretty big. We didn't get we didn't get those big the, the big dollars that we would need to execute on the plan. And mm-hmm. um, and some people even lost some money in their investment. So it, it was uh, not easy to to have to make those phone calls and and say we we didn't get there. But mm-hmm. um, great experience nonetheless, and I, uh, has really driven me and motivated me not to have to go through it again, but also helped me understand the importance of, of starting something that you can operate almost from scratch without with little or no money and learning how to run that business first before you start to apply really big growth. And so uh, that's helped me in this business, I think. Mm-hmm. I've heard that money is just a magnifier. So if you don't have some of those fundamental things sorted out, then adding a bunch more money just means you do them bigger, badder, faster. And, yeah, and you might do some things well better and, and some things uh, that you're, you're not. Right. Yeah, yeah I, no. I would agree with that. And, and raising money too, I've done I've done a couple of little things in the past and uh, it's, yeah, it's definitely something I've always have to give very careful consideration to. Okay, so um, I've also noticed talking to successful mortgage brokers that they have systems and processes and they're always willing to tweak them to make better results. And so I'm going to ask you about an administrative process that you guys had at your office that maybe wasn't working the way you would like and a tweak that you made and the outcome that you got. Sure, yeah. Well, I know uh, probably the earliest one that I remember goes back to when I was when I didn't have any staff and it was just me doing mortgages and I was trying to keep track of it. I was always pretty good at bringing leads in the door, so that was good. But keeping track of those leads, the stage they were at, the to-dos that had to go uh, with each file, even just receivables, all that kind of stuff uh, was really scattered. I think I used a, I used a program that was basically a glorified to-do check, uh, like a to-do list. And I really quickly outgrew that. And so keeping track of everything was becoming a real chore. And, you know, you starting to have those, the, the, we call them mortgage mares here, but like you wake up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat going, oh my goodness, I got a COF today or, or I've got a deal that I don't remember where it's at. And you have that panic like. Uh, I've never had that happen. No, I'm just kidding. It's, oh, had, you know, I, yeah, you know right. I'm joking, dude. Like, if, yeah, it's so easy to happen if you're, even if you're trying to be on top of it. Yeah. And even if you are organized, if you care, maybe some people don't care and and they get predictable results but I always cared and I think that's helped me be successful but it doesn't it it hasn't helped my hairline at all so the first thing I did to fix that was uh, build a a pretty robust CRM system and we didn't build it from scratch we used one that was uh, kind of off shelf web-based. What, what platform did you but use out of curiosity? I, the first one was Sugar CRM. It was open source and pretty new and pretty innovative, And, and um, but we could really customize it. So it was 
it was good to work with, and then we eventually replaced that with uh, with Zoho CRM, which is similar to Salesforce and some of the others that are out there. So that was the first and best thing I ever did because it just helped me to get organized and it gave me accurate reporting and gave me um, information at my fingertips and gave me the ability to communicate with my clients better and, and uh, understand the business better um, in a lot of ways. So it was a big investment of time. But, you know, when you're starting out, you're not busy writing deals all day long. So we had, I had the time uh, to do it at that point, and, and it was a good investment. Right. No, that's good. And and obviously, it's still something that's a it's, you're evolving. You're probably just continually tweaking it as time goes by, right? Yeah, that's right. Yep. And um, and it's funny, you know, with our insurance brokerage, how uh, we don't have that in the insurance brokerage right now. So I'm going to have to go through that all again because we're at a point now with our insurance brokerage that we need the same results that we're getting out of it. We know what we like about our, our mortgage side of things, and we don't have it on the insurance side, so it's kind of like uh, it's grating on my nerves. We need to fix that problem. I'd say the other thing, the more recent thing, probably in the last uh, three years or so, that was a real... Everybody has always hated the fact that you had to send a bunch of documents, and the document clock keeps getting bigger, but send a bunch of documents to the client, and then they would print them off and then sign a bunch of pages and miss some signatures or initials, a date, and then they fax them all back to you and page six would get, go missing or whatever, or scan them an email and same problem. When you put, so putting too much paper in the hands of the client, especially when they're remote and expecting accuracy and, and not enough problems to come back or sort of, uh, we struggled with that. And so uh, going with electronic signatures has been a huge, huge benefit to our business and to our clients. What's, what program are you using for that? What's the software? Uh, DocuSign. Yeah, it seems like that's becoming uh, the standard. Well, and realtors have been using it for some time. There are a lot of good ones out there now. There weren't three years ago when we started, so DocuSign was kind of the granddaddy, but we really like it, and, and it's been a huge productivity improvement for us. Our clients like it. They can all use it. I mean, it's, it's easier to use than the fax machine, I think, mm-hmm. for most people, and way more accurate, fewer problems. So uh, well, we've been that's probably the, the next greatest thing that we, we ever implemented that's been right. helpful. Cool. So I'm going to switch gears and talk about sales and marketing. And I know that your business is, you're very good at online marketing. So can you share something in the sales and marketing side that maybe wasn't working as well, but that wasn't working as well as you would like, and then a recent change you made to improve it? Uh, yeah, I would say, um, actually, this is kind of a low, I know we're, we're known sort of for our online stuff, but the, the lowest, the low tech thing that wasn't working years ago, and this was years ago, was when I first started hiring people to support me and, and, uh, help me administratively and make sure we got uh, our clients taken care of as quickly as possible. When I first started hiring, I, you know, kind of modeled it so that our I would work with the client up until the point where the, the mortgage was approved and then my assistant would take over at that point and ensure that all the documentation got done and it would fund on time and we didn't miss any important dates and that kind of thing. But the, the problem we ran into was we, we tried to communicate this and maybe didn't do an effective job. Maybe Maybe it could still work with some tweaks this way, but we, for whatever reason, people were were frustrated because they were, at one point they were dealing with me, and then right up, right away, or shortly thereafter, they were dealing with somebody else, and they never really seemed to know who to talk to, and they got frustrated because they were like, am I dealing with Gord, or am I dealing with so-and-so, and, and if there was any inconsistency too in what we were telling people, that was a problem. If there was any uh, inconsistency in terms of follow-up time, response time, 
speed mm-hmm. professionalism. So it just ended up being, and it's possible that the idea itself could work if maybe we just didn't execute it well, but I uh, decided to get away from that and, and go to a model where uh, the broker was the only point of contact from start to finish. You could still have administrative support on the back end, but that person wasn't really dealing with the client unless absolutely necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen it. I've talked to some other brokers who have some shops like that and that have been able to make that work. But I think one of the things is everybody needs to play their position and it needs to be, like you said, clearly articulated to the clients. Definitely not an easy thing to completely, you know, get to work properly, but um, I have seen it work yeah. in some in some instances. But Yeah, I, I think it can. I think, no, that was a good learning experience, and I think if we were to do it again, we'd try a few different things. But So I have another question, because I know you guys do online marketing, so you do a you know, pretty good job of online marketing. So how has online marketing changed, in your opinion, over the last few years? Because you've been doing it for, like, since pretty much it was invented. So what have yeah. you been seeing? Yeah, I, I think it's gone from, um, I, honestly, I think it's gone from online marketing to just marketing. It's It's becoming like anything else that that works and this is the hard part for if you're an innovator and you do and you're early at things you got to enjoy it while the sun's shining because this, the minute you do something and it works people get a hold of it and will copy it and we'll do it and and we'll have success with it and then and then the, the really good returns start to go away and I would say online marketing has become I'm sure it's just like when every realtor was taking out a full page ad in the newspaper with all the pictures of their listings and uh that was the way to go. And but eventually when everybody starts doing it it gets really noisy, it gets really cluttered and uh I think it loses it don't get me wrong, it can still be effective and it can still be profitable, but it's harder because there's so much more competition and the price goes up the more the more people are competing for those leads that's just the way it is there's a lot of demand for leads and uh and and people are paying uh bigger and bigger dollars all the time for it so at some point you know it reaches a saturation point and then the returns aren't as good as they were in the early days mm-hmm. uh, but uh, so you know we're always looking for what's the next thing. Are there other ways to to attract business? Are there other ways? I think online marketing now is is a, is a piece. I don't know that it can be a strategy in a, and and only in itself. I would think that for us anyway, it's part of a marketing plan that involves other forms of advertising and and, and lead generation. And so, without obviously, you don't have to like lay out your entire you know marketing strategy. But so, what's an area that you've kind of you've identified as an opportunity? For for generating those mortgage leads. Well, that, that's a good question. I think some I think there's some opportunities for some partnerships, referral partnerships, things like that that are outside the norm. Uh, maybe look, looking outside the real estate world and looking to other uh, organizations that have the ability to communicate with large groups of people um, could be one. It's funny how one of the things that we've noticed, uh, which is really interesting, is some of our competition in this market anyway is. Online, some of our online competition is coming from uh, people who've had good success marketing offline. So like, give me give me an example. Well, so Google, Google's all the, uh, and all the search engines, their algorithms are changing all the time. So the signals that they get uh, affect how the search rankings work. And so we had a competitor here locally who does a really good job on radio and does a lot of radio advertising, but really never was wasn't really a threat online forever. And until recently, has kind of shot up the ranks. Well, one of the reasons for that is Google's algorithm change measures something called social signals. 
and um, that particular brokerage's name was getting searched for a lot because of the volume of radio they were doing. So people were hearing the radio ad and then Googling that brokerage's name. So Google goes, oh, this is a popular place. Let's move them up in the rankings. Because people, because the theory is, is that people are looking for them, therefore it's, uh, yeah. it's popular. That's, that's right. So, so now you're starting to think about uh, online. Do you have to make do you have to make offline investments from a branding standpoint to help your online performance? Mm-hmm. Where that was never the case before. They really stood. They were really separate things. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there, there's more than one. It doesn't have to be radio. It could be a billboard. It could be a plane flying overhead with your name. I don't know what it. But it, but it has to be something that drives interest in your brand, and that will reflect positively in your online experience or your online performance. And so last little bit on this, because my business is, is a little bit different than yours, well, a lot different, because I'm more like, uh, I don't do any online lead gen. I've never, I, don't, I think I've had one person contact me online in like nine years. And so I'm like, how did you find me? What convoluted search string did you type in to find me? Yeah. Because I, nobody finds me on Google. But so just the last question on this, just because I want to get a sense of sort of trends, you know, four or five years ago when you were doing this, what kind of sick, like success rate versus now like is it is it is it a conversion rate problem or is it just a cost to acquire the lead that's changed significantly uh, that's a good question uh, I think the conversion rates have gone down a little bit over the years and that uh, that may just have to do with maybe more choice out there for people so uh, people are looking at multiple sites before making a decision and uh, they have more choice now so that's it's more competitive and yeah the acquisition cost has has gone up for sure our loan amounts have gone up too which I think has helped us keep pace in that cost. But if, if you go into a if you go into a period of declining or, or stagnating uh, loan averages, and um, your compensation stays fixed or, or goes down a little bit, and um, the cost of of acquiring a client continues to go up, then then something starts to break there, and uh, maybe one of those markets has to adjust. Maybe the cost of advertising comes down to reflect that, but mm-hmm. um, or or maybe fewer competitors remain because it's a struggle and so they go away but you know it's riding those waves that presents a challenge to any marketer in any business mm-hmm. that's true okay i'm going to switch to to cross-selling and diversifying your income so you were nominated for diversifier of the year so tell me a little bit about some of the things that you guys are doing that uh, in trying to focus on the diversifying sure well we we uh you know, I, I was thinking about this strategically about three or four years ago, uh, maybe even a little longer than that. Uh, three, or f- three years ago is when we started our general insurance brokerage, and that so that was one that's home auto and commercial insurance. And I've always, I've always tried to think of, you know, how are, are there ways that we can better serve our clients? Are there ways that we that they would benefit? Are there services we can offer that they would benefit from that makes sense? So, you know, my my joke is that we would never do a mortgage brokerage and a pizza joint because they don't really go together. You could do you know, you can do insurance and tires, and they're both good businesses. But why they they don't go hand in hand? Mm-hmm. So like peanut butter, that's like peanut butter and jam. <laughs> yeah, or peanut butter and ladies. <laughs> like, right. What's the, uh, Did you say ladies? <laughs> Yeah, I said like, okay. <laughs> that's a line from uh, that Will Ferrell movie. Oh, Peanut Butter Ladies. Yeah, <laughs> I don't remember that one. I didn't see that one. Okay, sorry, I, I so didn't mean to it, interrupt. Keep going. 
No, so, that's okay. Bro- broker world, you'll uh, you'll you'll stick with me on that one. So the uh, I forget where I was going with it, but you know, we looked at our workflow and we said at a certain point here we're telling clients usually you know if you're buying a house for example you need fire insurance to close you need it it's not a it's not an option like life insurance it's not an option like disability insurance it's not an option like whatever but you you gotta have it you need it to close and we just thought well wouldn't it be really convenient if we could make sure that everybody got a quote they don't have to take it but especially if they're a first-time buyer they probably don't have anything like that they may not even have an insurance broker they work with Mm -hmm. and and it's necessary so we can add it as a convenience for our clients and it can help them and at the same time it can deepen the relationship we have with them and and hopefully it it gives us more contact points it gives us the ability to talk to them every year instead of every three or four or five years and the business model is a little different too in that you get paid on a recurring basis so there's some advantages to that and at the end of the day it made sense for our clients which is the first test and and then if you if you if it makes sense for the clients and it makes good business sense then it was just something we decided that we had to do right it's just a natural natural transition exactly yeah, exactly. And um, and beyond that, you know, the life insurance component as well. And then we started thinking about the competitive environment and how at the time and, and still today, a lot of mortgage brokers feel like the tactic that banks will use is, uh, well, why not just why not just get keep your mortgage with us? It's easier to do everything with us in house. We already have your banking, we already have your credit card, we already have your life insurance, we already have your investments. You might as well just keep it with us. And not everybody falls to that, thank goodness, but some do. Some people think, Yeah, I just want it all in one place. It's a convenience thing. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're trying to do. Everything we do now is about keeping people out of the branch. If you need a bank account, you can get that here. If you need a credit card, you can get that here. If you want home and auto insurance, we can do that. And your bank can't. Uh, and everything we do, one of the other really important things I think that we wanted to make sure of is that our messaging was consistent, that brokered is better. It can't just be, it can't just be, well, sure, we'll be a mortgage broker and we're independent. We have multiple mortgages, mortgage options for you from different lenders, but we we have one line of investment products or we have one insurance provider that wouldn't be consistent so mm-hmm. everything we do is brokered and independent mm-hmm. including the insurance stuff you're saying including the insurance stuff including the investment stuff including the life insurance stuff everything we do is fully independently brokered by professionals in their field mm-hmm. that's great so I'm going to move to the rapid fire questions so these you can answer with little shorter answers if you like so what is the number one thing holding back most mortgage brokers from being successful the industry business model the industry business model the, 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 the standard industry business model. Okay, I know it's supposed to be rapid fire. But you got to elaborate on that for me. We're asking to, we're asking people to be good at everything, and almost nobody's good at everything. I think I think we ask most independent most independent mortgage brokers who and and brokerages that operate on the traditional real estate business model are being asked to wear too many hats. And not everybody's a good marketer. Not everybody's a good salesperson. Not everybody's a good administrator. Not everybody's good at, at technology. And yet we're asking individuals to do that. We're asking them that everybody has to have their own website and their own uh, CRM system and their own marketing plan and their own sales strategy. And nobody's good at all of those things. Mm-hmm. That's nobody. true. That's a good. That was good. Even though it was rapid fire, I wanted that extra. That's yeah. good. Free extra free content. Nobody here. You won't have to pay for it. Anybody listening, it's totally free. <laughs> like the rest oh, of the podcast. Time. Rest of the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, what one thing or habit thinks made you successful? Treating my clients and my staff the way I want to be treated. Do you have an internet resource software program you use to make your business more successful? DocuSign. If you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be? Good to great. And where do you think? Or you're... okay, Google. Sorry. 
Or bonus, the bonus answer is uh, rules for revolutionaries if you're an entrepreneur. Okay, that one's also free. Where do you think our industry... Well, actually, we've kind of covered that, so I'm going to switch to the last question, which is my one of my favorites. It's a DeLorean question. Remember the movie Back to the Future? Yeah. And so if I could put you in the DeLorean and I set the time for 13 years ago and I could say, Gord, I want you to send you back. You're going to sit down and you get 15 minutes with yourself and the goal is to make First Foundation bigger and better today. What three things would you tell yourself in that conversation? Uh, first thing I would say is don't hire people exactly like you, Gord. I think the second thing I would say is start the insurance brokerage now. Don't wait ten years. And third one, I don't. I don't know if I have a third one. Uh, keep your chin up. <laughs> kind of an enc- words of encouragement. Right. My dad used to say, "Keep your yeah. stick on the ice" to me all the time, and it's yeah. kind of like you know this idea that uh, you you can't take a pass if your stick's not on the ice. You're not in the game. That's right. That's good. Okay, so don't hire people like you. Good advice. Start an insurance brokerage and keep your chin up. So, Gord, where can people find you online? My uh, company's firstfoundation.ca, and that's probably the best place to reach me. You, I also have a gordmccallum.com uh, web address. I have no idea even what's on that site anymore. And uh, Twitter, Twitter at gordmccallum, or Facebook, or LinkedIn, or pretty much every social media platform known to man. And are, are yeah, you? Reach out, say hi. Are you uh, guys hiring? Yeah, we're hiring right now. We're hiring. Uh, we're looking for a mortgage assistant uh, right now, and we're hiring for two or three insurance roles. Uh, so there's a careers page on our site. Have a look at that if you're interested. We'd love to see more resumes and chat with great, exciting people. We're a pretty young, fun, dynamic group, So uh, and we're trying to grow as fast as we can, so lots of opportunity. Oh, awesome. Well, Gord, I really appreciate your time today for sharing sharing with us, and I hope you absolutely crush the rest of your year. Thanks, Scott, and thanks uh, thanks for doing what you're doing, man. This is good for our industry, and it's good uh, to profile all the, all the other great people you've profiled, and just love to see this kind of thing going on. So hopefully it's of use, uh, today's interview, for other people, and uh, if anybody has any questions, I'm always open to chatting. Okay, thanks, Gord. Okay, thanks, Scott. Where the best mortgage brokers get better. I love mortgage brokering with your host, Scott Peckford. Hey, Broker Nation, Scott Beckford here. Have you joined our VIP club for mortgage brokers yet? If not, you're missing out. We share exclusive content not available on the web or the show. We share scripts, step-by-step guides, and other insider tips to help you save time and make you more money. I can't tell you how many times after I turn off the recorder, a guest starts sharing some awesome advice or a script or, or a tip, and I take the best of this and share it with my VIPs. If you want to get on the list, visit ilovemortgagebrokering.com slash VIP. That's ilovemortgagebrokering.com slash VIP. Oh, and one other thing, since this is exclusively for mortgage brokers, there is a skill testing question. Good luck, and I hope you continue to rock your mortgage biz.